Come on. Hello, dear listener. Before we get into today's show, quick ask. If you find value in today's show or you've gotten value out of a previous show, please leave us a quick five-star review. Be super grateful. Thanks a lot. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, a strong and powerful Chris Putnam Walker. Chris, are you ready to do this? I am, George. Thank you. Yeah, excited to have you on. Chris is the president of Putnam Consulting Group. She's a global philanthropy expert helping ultra-high net worth donors, foundations, Fortune 500 companies increase the clarity, speed, and impact of their charitable giving. She's a speaker, author, and a columnist. Her new book is Delusional Altruism, Why Philanthropy Fails to Achieve Change and What Can Be Done to Transform Giving. Chris, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Yeah. So personal life, I have uh, five children and stepchildren, ranging in age from 10 to 29. Nice. Um, based in Cleveland, Ohio. And I have been working as a philanthropy advisor for over 20 years. So what that means is, uh, you know, I work with philanthropists really of all sizes and, and types, meaning, you know, foundations, uh, uh, companies like the J.M. Smucker Company, the makers of jams and jellies, uh, as well as individual donors who are, you know, trying to make a difference with their wealth uh, by giving it away to the causes they care about, but don't often know exactly how to do that or um, the best approach and need, a guide, need guidance or strategy or, you know, just some kind of assistance in doing it. So that's the work that I do. And, you know, I'm super passionate about it because at the end, end of the day, we're all trying to make the world a better place and create change. And, um, you know, philanthropy is one way to accomplish that. Yeah, I certainly appreciate that. So uh, I, I'm super curious about, about a lot of, of, of your work. Why don't we just talk about how, how COVID has, has impacted philanthropy maybe in general and then just in, 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 in your work specifically? Yeah, well, you know, it has impacted it pretty dramatically in the sense of, you know, obviously the impact on nonprofit organizations is just one example. You know, um, nonprofits, once COVID hit, you know, nonprofit organizations provide really needed services, not just the food banks and the homeless shelters, but also think about the arts organizations, arts education organizations. You know, really, there's no aspect of our life that nonprofit organizations don't support job training, you know, all kinds of things. And so, you know, certainly when COVID hit, uh, you know, a lot of organizations scrambled, they had to close, were not accustomed to delivering services remotely. Uh, of course, you know, museums and uh, theaters and whatnot that were relying, of course, on ticket sales and people walking in the door for their revenue. Uh, it was a pretty dramatic impact. And so it's been challenging, you know, and I think, um, from the nonprofit, well, really from anyone's perspective, you know, the organizations that were the strongest going into COVID or any crisis, meaning, you know, they had a good handle on their finances and they have a really, you know, strong strategy and invested in their own infrastructure, really are the ones I think best able to survive during this time and thrive and innovate. Um, you know, there's one organization, the Providence Ballet Company, um, in Providence, Rhode Island, 
you know, again, a you know, a ballet company that had to close down, but immediately moved to doing online galas and fundraising events and has now been doing, you know, a, a nutcracker ballet in a parking lot and, you know, other performances outdoors to be able to keep in front of their patrons and their and their um, uh, community members and continue to raise money. So a lot of organizations that were successful heading into this, I think, are successful during and, and coming out of it. For funders, you know, I think what's been really interesting is, you know, a lot of um, a lot of times the way money is allocated to nonprofits is very restrictive. Right. There's, you know, grants are awarded to organizations and there's often lengthy application processes to apply uh, for funding, um, extensive kind of due diligence and often site visits in person to visit the nonprofit before you make a funding decision. Uh, and then the money is kind of doled out in specific for, for specific purposes. And what's been interesting, I think, during this time is that, you know, a lot of philanthropists have removed all those restrictions like they dropped them like hot potatoes once this crisis hit to to say hey you know we believe you you know health clinic homeless shelter food pantry whatever that you a you need money quickly like you you need to rapidly respond to this and you need flexible dollars to be able to use these dollars however you see fit so you know i have clients that you know called nonprofit organizations to say hey there's a $10,000 check waiting for you whenever you want to pick it up. You don't have to apply, use it however you want. Like we trust you to, to, to respond well. And I think that's been a really positive development. You know, certainly there's been a lot of, a lot of money given away. I mean, I think in many cases there's been no more, no greater amount of giving in the history of giving than during this pandemic. The last I saw, I think globally, they were, $17 billion had been given, you know, through philanthropy in response to COVID um, donor advised funds, which are a kind of a giving vehicle um, that allows a donor to kind of create a charitable checking account, you know, through your local community foundation or Fidelity Charitable or one of those kinds of organizations is are they're seeing huge growth in the number of people that are contributing uh, and making grants to organizations. So there's been, you know, a, a lot of activity. Um, but, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, there's in any crisis, if it's a pandemic or it's a fire or hurricane, there's always that immediate response. You know, you want to rush to help people. But I think we also need to think down the road about recovery and systems change and, you know, ways that we can uh, fix the systems that are clearly broken, like our education system, for example. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating to 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 see organizations that are successfully pivoting to whatever it might be, um, and that's nothing but a positive thing, obviously, to, to 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 innovate where you can. But it's also fascinating to see where there are really, I guess, profound or foundational um, problems with different organizations, if it's education or whatever it might be, just big institutions that, that, that we don't necessarily look to, well, that maybe we've always wanted to change. And now this is maybe forcing change. So it's, it's been certainly fascinating. So, um, well, the, the book, the delusional altruism, what it was before, uh, obviously you, you had the idea before the pandemic, I'm, I'm assuming. So walk me through what the genesis behind that was. 
Yeah, you know, um, so the, the book is called Delusional Altruism, and it really, it comes from my belief uh, and my experience that philanthropists uh, genuinely want to create change, want to be altruistic, want to make a difference, but are often getting in their own way hmm. and preventing themselves from having the impact that they want. And so, and often they don't realize that's happening. And so in the book, you know, I, I describe the seven ways, I, manifestations, I guess, of delusional altruism in the first half of the book. Uh, and then the second half of the book is all about um, transformational giving and how donors can have a more lasting and transformational impact on whatever community or cause they care about, but often by transforming themselves as well and changing how they give. So, you know, my first experience with this, I didn't, I didn't know it was, I didn't call it delusional altruism at the time, but my first job out of college, I moved to San Francisco and I worked for a nonprofit organization that was trying to support human rights in Central America. And I'm dating myself, but back then, <laughs> the, the fancy technology of the day was the fax machine. Yeah. And, you know, we, you know, we're, it was so exciting to, to use that fax. And uh, we used faxes then the way we use, I think, social media today, which is to quickly get the word out and mobilize people and, you know, get them to call their congressperson. We'd send these fax alerts. And it was an important part of our work. But we didn't feel that we deserved to invest and purchase our own fax machine because we felt all of the money needed to go mm. that we had should go support these organizations in Central America. So instead, we walked 10 blocks to borrow a fax machine from another organization. And that was about a mile round trip <laughs> in San Francisco's Mission District. And, um, you know, uh, we did this often like multiple times a week, sometimes multiple times a day sure. to send our faxes. And then, you know, fast forward a couple years later, I was in El Salvador. We took a delegation of supporters to go there and, and bring aid and, and learn what was going on. And support them and i walk in the organization we were supporting and what do i see is this ginormous fax machine right <laughs> i mean this thing was like huge it stapled copied collated faxed yeah. you know it practically made the coffee and <laughs> i was really stunned that they could afford a fax machine relying upon international aid and yep. here we were from the u.s bringing the aid and we couldn't and so i asked the director how could you do this how can you afford this and looked at me like I was crazy and said, you know, how, how could we not afford it? You know, like we rely on faxes. <laughs> right. <laughs> this That's is really important. Essential. <laughs> and it, exactly. And it was so that was really so, again, that was my first experience because, gosh, if we instead of deploying our staff to walk a mile a day to send faxes, we had deployed them to pick up the phone and call donors and raise money. Like, think of how much more money we could have raised. Mm. You know, we could have bought 10 fax machines. Right. And so I think that's part of, you know, that's one of the delusions is this kind of scarcity mindset that I think both nonprofits and funders, donors have, which is this, you know, notion that somehow if you maintain a Spartan operation, you know, you're, you're delivering more value to the community. The less you invest in yourself, somehow the more that helps others. And that seems noble, but I think it's actually delusional because we really have to, in order to have the greatest impact as a nonprofit organization or be the best, have the most impact as a philanthropist, I think we really need to be the best philanthropists and nonprofits that we can be. And that, you know, means investing in yourself, not necessarily a lot, but even as a, as a donor, investing in your own learning to really understand what's happening in a community, 
looking at the data, building relationships with nonprofit organizations, identifying what the best practices are, you know, that amount of learning is an important investment in making you stronger. Um, but certainly even, I mean, gosh, look at technology. You know, there's, um, I joke that all foundations in the world could be divided into two categories in March. Category A had taken the time and a little bit of money to invest in the ability to make online grant payments electronically. Category B is the group that only could make grants through a written physical check that usually multiple people had to physically sign. And so lockdown happened and category B, you know, had no ability to get money out the door right. because their checks physically were locked in an office. They were prohibited from entering <laughs> and they couldn't do ACH payments. I mean, it seems silly, but it was true because I, I talked, these were some of my clients and they were in a state of panic because they Gen again, genuinely wanted to help their nonprofit grantees get people aid and food, and and they they weren't able to. So I, again, I think it's just that little bit of investment um, is really critical, and and too often donors feel, and sometimes it's out of guilt. You know, sometimes people of wealth feel like either I I, I inherited all this money, I didn't earn it, and so I feel guilty that I have all all of this that other people don't. Um, and so they kind of feel like they don't deserve to, you know, get good advising or get a good facilitator for a family retreat or whatever it is. Or, you know, sometimes entrepreneurs make a lot of money uh, selling their business, have more money and wealth than they ever expected to have in their lifetime, and suddenly feel guilty, you know, about it or feel like, you know, I don't deserve this somehow. And so again, they want to give, but they um, have a scarcity mindset about giving. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. That's, that's a lot of really, really challenging kind of big issues, right? Uh, your personal story about your organization not wanting to invest because you didn't want to be perceived to the outside world as in, 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 and even internally. And so that was something that I, I wanted to sort of touch on. Obviously, the way that, that every person in every organization is going to be, feels, is, is going to be unique to them. But do you think it's 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 a function these days of worrying too much about what they perceive other people will think about them versus the knowledge that I know I probably need to invest in myself to get the greatest return out of myself? Yeah, I think uh, fear is another manifestation of delusional altruism and how fear holds funders back, I think is a problem. In fact, I wrote a whole chapter on fear, uh, and that was before we were living through the greatest global crisis in a century. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I think it's part of it is that there's fear of exposure, uh, you know, of people knowing that you have wealth. Uh, I mean, literally of like going into the grocery store and kind of people asking you for, you know, funding for their nonprofit. There's also fear of kind of coming out, if you will, in support of a particular cause, um, you know, taking us putting a stake in the ground and saying this is a cause I believe in because there can be a lot of backlash in terms of how people, if they disagree with you. Um, you know, I think the, if you recall the uh, Notre Dame Cathedral, when it caught on fire in Paris a couple of years ago, I mean, that was a, obviously a devastating fire. And there were quite a few extraordinarily wealthy, you know, billionaire families um, who stepped up 
really kind of for the first time or more publicly for the first time to donate a lot of money uh, in support of rebuilding uh, that cathedral. And again, you'd think people would give them accolades, but instead there was a lot of criticism against them from around the world along the lines of like, you know, why do you care about a cathedral? Why don't you care about like poor people starving around the world? Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. or what about mosques or, you know, sure. <laughs> and so there was all of this backlash for these folks that came out to, to give and support to this cause that they cared about. And so, you know, and I think that's a mistake. I mean, yes, there are lots of people in need around the world that need support and we need, do need to, and those need to be considered a crisis as well. Um, but, you know, you really want to encourage philanthropy and not scold and shame right. philanthropy, <laughs> uh, I think, generally speaking. Um, and then also, yeah, and then kind of fear of like, you know, people thinking that you're investing too much in yourself. But, you know, I don't mean like take your board of directors or your family to like um, the Four Seasons in Maui for your board retreat, you know, like not that that's a bad thing, but you know, that's not what I'm talking about. Like sure. that kind of investment. I just mean like get good advice, get a good coach, um, you know, learn how, what it means to, um, create an impact. Like how do you evaluate and assess your impact? You know, that kind of investment on yourself, I think is really important as well as in the nonprofits. I mean, there's a really common myth that, you know, if you're going to support a nonprofit organization, then you want to only support the ones that have low overhead, where, you know, 99 cents of every dollar donated goes to help, you know, the people that they're helping and only one cent goes for administration. But again, I think that's misguided because, you know, just like in a business, we need to invest in ourselves, our research and development, technology, uh, learning, marketing, you know, whatever, finance as a bookkeeper, well, a nonprofit needs to invest in all that stuff, too. And if you, you know, if there's a cause that you care about, like early childhood education or domestic violence or whatever, and there's a great leader, a great nonprofit that you think is doing really good work, they're having an impact, and you want to support them, then, like, don't you want them to be the strongest that they can be? Don't you want them to have excellent financial management? a great board of directors, you know, top talent on their staff, the ability to evaluate themselves and make improvements as they go, a strategic plan that's, you know, guiding them, all of that stuff. Like you, of course you want all of that, right? You want them to be successful, but when it comes to donating, we often like kind of toss that um, common sense out the window. And then, you know, we expect them to get by on a shoestring and somehow have all this impact. We would never turn that lens on ourselves, you know, in terms of like if you're running a business, of course, you, you know, you need to hire good talent and pay them competitively. Yeah, it, it is. It, it strikes me that it is simply you sort you use the language of you wouldn't turn that lens on yourself. And I really think that it's just a matter of changing the lens through which we're viewing a lot of maybe all nonprofit organizations away from exactly as you just described. You know, you're supposed to fix the world, but you're supposed to do it for free for all intents and purposes. And um, just <laughs> exactly. just changing just changing that perspective away from, I, I guess, what has always been uh, for or for the longest time been the way that 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 that, that we viewed how nonprofits should conduct themselves to that common sense of in order to do the best possible work, have the greatest possible impact, 
you're going to need to be doing the things that you just described. So uh, I think that the work you're doing is so important and, and, and the more that people can, I don't know if trust their instincts is, 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 is the right thing, but just appreciate everything you've just been describing. So amen, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Yeah, you know, I think regardless of whether you are a nonprofit organization, a business, um, or, you know, a consultant or a philanthropist, uh, I think what's most important right now is to, um, you know, to not be paralyzed by all the change that's happening in the world and feel like you can't create a plan. I think what's really important for all of us to do is to, um, you know, rapidly look ahead to what we're trying to accomplish in the next, let's say, six to 12 months, uh, create a plan that we can count on based on the information we currently have available, use it as long as it makes sense, and then assume that things are going to change along the way. You know, I think we've experienced so much change lately, but recognizing that that is actually the new, that is our new normal. Um, you know, s- disruption is the status quo and the future is always uncertain. And I'm really encouraging a lot of my clients these days to, you know, if you have a strategic plan from last year, now is the time to revisit it and uh, um, to do that quickly because we all need, you know, something to guide us, uh, a plan, our top priorities, so we know what's most important to focus on and to uh, plan on, you know, again, things changing, the world pivoting and needing to pivot ourselves in response so that we're always operating with kind of a decision-making framework that's that's guiding our thinking and um, allowing us to make the best decisions we can. Well, I think that that is great stuff. That definitely gets, come on. Come on. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Where can they get a copy of Delusional Altruism? Yeah, well, they can go to delusionalaltruism.com and uh, there's links for, for purchasing the book on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and other uh, retailers. So that's uh, the best place to go to purchase the book. And then I also have a, a free article, a new guide that I created called Eight Things Every Philanthropist Can Do to Change the World, Even When the World Keeps Changing. And it talks about uh, some of those tips that I just shared in terms of you know rapidly creating a plan you can count on and um, being able to quickly implement that plan despite the, the constant change that we're experiencing. And they can go to 8things.org to download that free guide. Wonderful. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Chris your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to delusionalaltruism.com, pick up a copy of the book, and pick up that new guide on the eight things that every philanthropist can do to have an impact to change the world at 8things.org. Chris, thank you so much. Oh, George, thank you for having me. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight as we are all in this together. Spending too much time on social? Is your daily screen time over two hours? Are you a little bit overweight? Not saving enough money? Any or all of these are familiar. Strive could be for you. The Strive two-week online boot camp will help you to detox your mind, body, and money, getting you on your way to a happier, healthier, wealthier, and more confident life. Go to strivedetox.com 
S-T-R-I-V-E-D-E-T-O-X.com and get your mind, body, and money right.